You Want It Darker by Ms. Chunks. Chapter 38 Lover's Leap Summary Aizawa might have been going for a while, but Dr. Shinso's just getting started. Aizawa, Hitoshi, and his mother have no sooner set foot outside Nezu's office than Aizawa cuffs the errant teen around the back of the head, though he lets his hand linger in Hitoshi's exotic bird's nest hair for more of a punitive ruffle than a true reprimand. Aizawa at least tries to sound stern with his, You should not have tried to use your quirk on Nezu. Lay off. It's not like it worked. Hitoshi growls as he shoves back against Aizawa's hand. They're sort of play fighting and sort of not, bouncing around on the slack line of mixed intentions, as usual. Pushing Hitoshi just to feel that satisfying tension and pushing back. Someone, student or otherwise a part of his life, learning to hold their own against Aizawa's brand of tough love. He's hard work, he knows that but also knows it's the only way he's capable of being. Better make peace with it now than try to change his nature like transmuting lead into gold. That's no excuse. Kiki comes in quick on the other side of Hitoshi, which makes for a double assault on the boy that must feel like a page out of a forgotten family manual. How are you supposed to convince the principal you're ready to be a hero if you insist on playing silly buggers? Oh, I don't know by catching real-life criminals? Hitoshi finally succeeds in shoving Aizawa off like a horse kicking an unwanted rider, lolling his head to one side like it was all a game after all, a palm wrapped around the back of his neck. Hitoshi remarks as if he's kicking his feet up in a lounger and couldn't be more at ease. Right, Aizawa? Aizawa might as well have a bullseye painted on his forehead because it's into the center of it that Hitoshi and Kiki's complimenting violet gazes shoot like a couple of arrows. Aizawa feels the inexplicable urge to hold up a card with his name and hero ID number on it, taking a mugshot for the code violations he's gotten written up on more times than he'd care to count. It doesn't bear thinking about what the hero register authorities would do if they found out about Hitoshi being his intern without a piece of paperwork between them and Aizawa hopes never to find out. While Aizawa knows what he'd say in response to Hitoshi's question, if he were speaking for only himself, he's got a greater responsibility than his own garbage opinion now. What this amounts to is Aizawa begrudgingly starting to mutter, Hitoshi, listen to your mother. But he never finishes, because it's at that very moment that Todoroki barges through the stairwell doors that Aizawa was just about to head into putting them face to face, if not for the large stack of differently sized containers in Todoroki's arms. They're all plastic, the containers, that is, and Hitoshi sudden, stops sudden, they're all plastic, the containers, that is, and Todoroki stops suddenly while he's, while the unsteady stack does not. It tips forward so that Aizawa has to reach up and grab it to steady the structure before the whole lot topples over. Being the last day of school, there's a lot of tidying up and putting away of things, which Aizawa is guiltily pleased to be missing out on. Todoroki must be running some helpful errand to that effect, but when he regains balance of the tower and looks around it, recognizing the trio of people in front of him to varying degrees, 
is how a student looks so surprised his mouth actually appears to be hanging open. It takes Aizawa a moment, but then he realizes what it looks like. Aizawa, Hitoshi, Hitoshi's mother. Hopefully Todoroki doesn't go getting any ideas. Then again, this is Todoroki. With everlasting mercy, Aizawa's phone starts ringing, and for a second they remain stuck in exactly the same position after Todoroki bursts through the doors, like a jammed automaton that stops when a single piece moves out of joint. If that's the case, Aizawa answering his phone shoves the rest of the machine into motion. Toshi and Kiki move a little further ahead while Aizawa holds the door open for Todoroki, nodding at him with narrow, we don't talk about this, eyes as they walk along the hallway. Maybe the conspiracist won't tattle. Maybe. Aizawa checks the caller ID and answers the phone with weary, about time, irritation. What have you got for me? Tom is on his way, Sakachi announces without hesitation. I just got the call, but you remember that ninth security guard who was missing after the docks escape? Well, someone just found what's left of him in a back alley a couple miles from the prison. Great, Aizawa answers like it very definitely isn't. We'll be over there soon. Are you sure you want to bring the little spoon? When this became Hitoshi's codename is beyond Aizawa's knowledge, but he'll be damned if it isn't a little useful. This one might be... I mean, it could be Shioko, but my gut's saying... I know, Aizawa interjects, eyeballing Hitoshi, who's lagging behind his mother on purpose, earwigging on Aizawa's call. I'll ask him. All right, I'll see you soon, Eraser. Later. Aizawa hangs up. And then just like that, Hitoshi's next to him. So what is it? Hitoshi pries like Aizawa is a box he just has to get into. Aizawa can't mince words. Another murder. But it... might not be Shioko. Hitoshi's sharp, especially when Aizawa is projecting the answer at him on all frequencies. Perhaps he picks a few of them up. His face certainly twists in a grotesque way before he answers. So you're saying what? It was my dad? Already. Hihi sounds like she's equal parts disappointed to angry, which happens to be an exasperated Hizashi classic, but even more effective when it's bursting with Kiki's powerfully tired energy. Like she's so fucking done with this stuff that she doesn't know what she's going to do if she gets her, mental or otherwise, hands on the dock. Wrap them around his throat, probably. And Aizawa wouldn't stop her. It might not, but Sakachi thinks it could be. Aizawa explains more gently than he would if Kiki weren't right there, ready to sucker punch Aizawa in the brain if he crosses the line. Sure as shit keeps Aizawa towing it. Is that going to be okay? What, for me? Hitoshi's expression hits a snag like a brush through matted hair. I know he's a psychotic murderer. Seeing the proof is hardly going to make a difference. As I was tackled by a rush of pride at Hitoshi still going from strength to strength in his handling of this demonic case, his devotion to seeing the work through, no matter how tough it gets. Giving Hitoshi a firm pat on the shoulder, Aizawa murmurs a fond, good lad. It's a funny turn of phrase, but drifts, like Hitoshi, 
somewhere in the shallows between boy and man. Tom is on the way. However, it's not just Hitoshi that Aizawa's got to check things over with, so his next question is to put the Winter Queen by Hitoshi's side. Kiki, how about you? How about me what? Kiki remains as arctic as Aizawa could expect. They don't have a lot of time and are descending one of UA's long winding staircases. Takes a little longer than the lift, but worth it for the free cardio. If Hitoshi wants to see his father's handiwork up close, then I'm not going to stand in his way. What about your safety? Hitoshi hops in before Aizawa gets a chance to cluck to the same effect. It's more palatable coming from her son than the weird, paranoid shadow who has been following him around for weeks. No wonder she hates Aizawa. Are you going to be okay going back to work? Kiki's wearing a trimly fitted suit that suggests she's planning to be all business today, and Aizawa has a feeling Hitoshi's heading off Aizawa's clingier instincts by repeating a conversation they've probably had in private. He appreciates the consideration. I'll be staying in the office, Kiki soothes, as much as she informs, a telling flit of her lilac eyes over as Aizawa, over at Aizawa as they turn another corner in the stairwell. Kiki's work attire includes heels, which aren't Kayama levels of tall, but clip-clop like there's a pony coming with them down the echoey student-deserted hallway. Stairwell. They're aware of my security concerns at present, and no one is allowed into the building without an ID card anyway. The prison guards who helped the dock escape had ID cards. Aizawa points out, you could still be in danger. Being a professional downer is what keeps people safe and alive, and it's not always Aizawa's biggest problem that the people he's trying to protect don't like it. So what would you have me do? Kiki shoots impatiently. The clicking of her heels punctuates their speech as regularly as a metronome. Trapes around a crime scene with you? Not in those shoes, Aizawa retorts, equal parts distraction to petty. Kiki's heels are black and not even that high, but bordered in a hot pink, Aizawa reckons just might be her favorite color. Aizawa has the thought of whether embracing bright, girly things is a move away from the dock, who presumably likes his women as austere as he is. Not that Aizawa has ever seen the dock out of a prison uniform. In the media, before he went to prison, it was rare to see the professor in anything except an exceptionally tailored, dark-toned suit. Thankfully, Kiki seems to enjoy Aizawa's playful dig, because she stifles a chuckle. If she and Aizawa can shit-talk each other amiably, they might get along yet. So his next request beds into slightly softer ground. Just stay in touch. I'll message you every hour. How's that? Even if Kiki is a little blunt, offering anything this attentive to Aizawa confirms she must hold the true measure of danger in her mind reassuring without actually needing to say it all out loud. It's hard reconciling that need to be strong by playing down the threat to being ready enough to deal with it. A balance Aizawa and Kiki are still trying to strike, especially with Hitoshi caught between them like a child splitting his time between separated parents, which is true in a way. That'd be great. Aizawa replies with open relief his unconscious so soothed enough to mutter an almost involuntary, 
Thanks. Because one, because there's one thing of which he's got no doubt. They're all scared. It just manifests in different ways. How's it going, assholes? Tama must be in a very good or very bad mood. And by this greeting alone, it's not possible to tell which it is. Oh, just great. Hitoshi slides into the back seat and melts like a cat, while Aizawa takes the front passenger spot. What's not to love about a day when my cop-killer father's been set loose on the world, right? Yeah, good fucking morning to you, too. Tama growls. Aizawa offers him a sympathy cigarette from the pack he picked up last night. Aizawa would like to say he was drunk when he bought them, but by that point he was tipsy at best and only has his own down-the-drain spiral to blame, rather than the couple of beers he, he'd primed with in advance of the, his string of deliberately poor choices. Thanks. Tama takes one of the cigarettes, but, lights, but slides it into a pocket rather than his whiskery mouth. Seems fair that Aizawa pays Tama back some of the many cigarettes he's been lifting off his buddy for the better part of two weeks. Stops Aizawa smoking them, too. Aizawa tries not to fall into rumination as they settle into a drive of more comfortable silences than small talk, but his mind seems intent to wander whenever the silted, note-trading chatter between driver and passengers ceases. Almost toppling Todoroki in the hallway by the principal's office, Aizawa and Hitoshi coincidentally stumbling onto Midoriya crossing the campus after seeing off Kiki in the parking lot. The Todoroki-loving sneak had several bags of rubbish in his arms yet suddenly dropped them all, and spent a very long time picking them up, while Aizawa and Hitoshi made their way over to the main gate. It was probably innocent, but Aizawa sometimes got the feeling his students were mentalists in their own right, communicating across a network not even his newfound skills could detect. Or that was the assumption when Kaminari was coincidentally sweeping the same four leaves by the gate. Funny how only Aizawa's class were scattered all across his path through campus like breadcrumbs. Aizawa pulled away from the main gate and went immediately for a side door used by teachers and staff, which is when Ashido came skating up as a last resort to thank Aizawa again for still letting those who'd lost against their teacher in the end-of-term exam come to the summer camp, but spent a lot of her time going, mm-hmm while Aizawa talked and eyeing Hitoshi next to him instead. Not really understanding their curiosity, Hitoshi was spitting envy like a snake does venom, resentful of the intrusion by Aizawa's other kids into what was supposed to be Hitoshi's time with him. Aizawa didn't let the Congress last long, and clobbering together a moral for Ashido about she and the others who'd lost had an advantage over their peers and who'd been successful, because they had no false comfort of feeling like they'd won against a handicapped opponent. Aizawa had personally been disgustingly hung over to boot, and consequently knew that the true challenges against them were. Hmm. It probably didn't matter what Aizawa said, because what the curious little pests all wanted to know was where their teacher was taking the general course student who had just shot to infamy in the back of a police car. Except Aizawa's pretty confident that even 1A's wildest guesses couldn't have been further from the truth. One of the business owners found him this morning. 
Sakachi sounds like he's reading a eulogy for a beloved family pet and grandparent who are both killed in the same tragic accident, his birthday party. They've obviously closed up shop for the day, as have the other businesses on this street. And no shit. The prison guard is still in his uniform, but the once blue shirt has been stained a dark red by the huge quantity of blood lost from his torso. At first glance, Azawa thinks multiple stabbing for the coroner's report, and is already casting around in vain hopes that a murder weapon might be nearby, only to return to the body like swinging a pendant over a magnet. The not-missing-any-more guard is on his knees, in front of a wall that's been pasted with old posters, many of which have bleached in the rain or peeled away to blanch the backdrop just enough to make it feel like a stage. The alleyway is mostly stacked with refuse from the businesses nearby, but this area is a little clearer. Maybe it was even cleared on purpose. The lifeless body is holding the pose he finally died in, kneeling with his head thrown back, the victim's torso opened up to the sky like a vulture was going to swoop down and eat his liver for the rest of eternity. Aizawa walks slowly around the body, noticing some cable ties that bind the victim's wrists together behind his back. Not so sure he wouldn't retaliate then, and then expands his scope to take in the whole backdrop. Spindly tra trails of blood droplets that have been flung against the wall behind the body, telling the dynamic story of action a bloody knife moving so fast the fresh blood was whipped off the edge of the blade, casting spidery legs around the body between one violent stabbing and the next. The effect is repeated so many times to seem as if a great gory insect was in the process of climbing out of the victim's much perforated chest. This cobweb of blood splatters accents on the death note that has been written out down a plain strip of wall beside the body. The blank slate is too deliberate in its vacancy not to be chosen on purpose. The doc has plenty of attention to detail. Bloodied finger fingers hint at who authored the note, as does the message itself. Forced as it was into being the victim's final act, to scrawl in his own blood. I wanted this. Subtle, Hitoshi quips, and Aizawa gives him a low glare that he shrugs off. But the note is subtle, in that it leaves more by implication than spells it out in blunt terms like death is freedom, or a simple statement of condemnation such as pigs are slaughtered. This is more insidious, the escalation Aizawa anticipated all too well when he theorized the next leap in Shioko's paradigm. To evolve from the forced self-slaughter of a victim to allowing themselves to be killed, even embracing death if the significance of the victim being on his knees and message are read together. Not just to believe the slogans and repeat the doc's mantras without feeling, but to truly live the emotional state of giving in to those primal urges and just dying. Or so Dr. Shinso theorized. There's another meaning too, in a statement as simple as, I wanted this. Not in relation to the victim, but the killer. For this is what the puppeteer wanted more than the puppet. Such a bloody, violent end for a man whose only crime was being alive and part of the system that had imprisoned Dr. Shinso for six long years. Summarily, parted from his life like a splitter drives apart two halves of a log. Aizawa doesn't want to leave anything down to chance, 
which is why he turns to address Sakachi. So why do you think the one so why do you think this one was the doc? It's the final victim of his escape spree, the detective declares with an attitude like quicklime. You don't think that's obvious? I think we look like fools for assuming anything, Aizawa responds. Can you account for this man's movements after the prison break? It appears to have, he appears to have fallen victim to the doc's cork at some point during the breakout. Sakachi lays out efficiently. There's a short exchange caught on camera. The last visual shows him leaving the prison during the chaos by a different route than Dr. Shinso took, and he wasn't among the guards or prisoners who attacked each other or tried killing themselves in the ensuing riot. So what? Dad just made him take the day off? Hitoshi suggests Riley, and then, with a sideways look that would heat a saucepan of water to the boil, gives a ticklish. What did he do to the ones that he killed in prison? As if he's trying to sneak the details from Sakachi's deep pockets without the detective noticing. Simple stuff, mostly to cause panic, Sakachi answers without reservation for who he's addressing anymore. They've been through enough now that it's not about questioning each other, because the enemy they're united against is a far greater threat. Those who were armed shot through the crowds before turning the gun on themselves, and a couple of the prisoners who fell victim to the doc's quirk beat a guard to death. Are you sure his quirk made them do that? As Ao suggests, like he's suddenly inspired to the lunatic's defense, but the reality is that many prisoners will season any excuse to kill a guard and it matters to Aizawa to keep the death tally clear. Well, they beat some other prisoners to death after that, and then one used a shiv to slit both their throats. Sakachi lands unpleasantly, like a cowpat he's launched into I like a cowpat he's launched into Aizawa's garden from next door. So I kinda figured it was the dock, but hell, maybe I'm doing this police work thing all wrong. Hitoshi snickers, but Aizawa doesn't feel bad for testing Sakachi. Maybe he doesn't need to, but what's the harm in saying it out loud? At least they're all on the same page now. If Aizawa doesn't ask the question, then he won't get the answer. How would this guy know where to go? Aizawa asks, ignoring Sakachi's bitterness as they're well past squabbling. If we assume the doc did brainwash this guy to leave the prison and meet him after dark. Perhaps the man went home first, or did he simply go somewhere and wait for the doc to come and free him? Dad would remember the local landmarks, Hitoshi answers in turn, staring at the crime scene like he's channeling his father's malicious spirit itself. He's got a photographic memory. As long as he saw a place once, even if it was from the prison bus window the day he was transferred in, he'd be able to remember well enough to... To what? Aizawa has to nudge when Hitoshi drops off spoken frequencies, though his mental energy is going like a heavy-duty vibrator keychain that Aizawa can't find the remote to switch off when it accidentally gets switched on during class. To plant the command in someone's mind, Hitoshi says. I don't think... It doesn't make sense that he'd keep control over this guy with his quirk for so long. Not while he had other things to worry about. Namely, escaping, meeting up with Shioko, and then vanishing into the night. 
I think he put the thought in this guy's head, you know? A memorable place to go and wait for him. Before Aizawa says it, Itoshi confirms the very thought. It must be some kind of a new way to use his quirk. The doc did say he hadn't been idle in prison all these years, and, Aizawa considers, perhaps this was his first chance to put into practice a new experiment Professor Shinso designed to test the murderous limits of his quirk. So he persuaded the victim to come without brainwashing the whole time. Aizawa rephrases for confirmation. Why? Just to see if he could. Hitoshi supplements, obviously. But maybe even... Aizawa doesn't need to prompt this time, because Hitoshi naturally unwinds. My dad told him that he was going to die. It's chilling, but this kind of dead-on ringer of an observation is exactly what Hitoshi's been on this case to provide. And Aizawa both horrific... And Aizawa's both horrifically proud and sorry that he's ever dragged the kid through such a god-awful mess, where Hitoshi needs to do this stuff in the first place. He does regret it, even if, without these events, Hitoshi would be the kid. Oh, he doesn't regret it, even if, without these events, Hitoshi wouldn't be the kid, or even Aizawa's student in the first place. Now Hitoshi is the kid, it's more apt to say than any student Aizawa has ever taught for a few years at a time and parted ways with. He cares and cared for all his former pupils, but there are a lot of them by now, and Aizawa can't lend lasting consideration to every star in the night sky. Aizawa accepts that they come and go, and it's still early days, but Itoshi's got a fuck-ton more staying power than that. Fucking hell! This comes from Sakachi, but it could as easily have been Aizawa who uttered such a heartfelt statement. Where would the doc have made him go? This alley is hardly memorable, at least. It wasn't until now. There's a park close by here. Aizawa recalls from his long stares out of various car windows while he's been driven to and from the prison that couldn't hold Dr. Shinso. Parks at night are good for crime dark paradises of the illicit uninhabited by the normal people who clutter them during the day, and instead given over to the underbelly activities that cling to them when the light has gone. Aizawa always remembers them, and so might the doc. That'd be enough, Hitoshi affirms, and then turns away from the body to tell Sakachi, you should check security tapes anywhere between here and there that might have caught them arriving. Acting police chief Shinso has an unnerving ring to it, but the detective never scolds Hitoshi the way he'd scold Aizawa for directing the police's work. Maybe he's got bigger things to worry about. Or maybe the detective's got a soft spot for Hitoshi, too. Sakachi is scribbling in one of the notebooks while a breeze whistling down the unkempt alley barely nudges the heavy tails of his overcoat. Perhaps the detective is content without further questioning but Aizawa's got a few more curiosities to try on their resident divining rod of the macabre. If they met in the park when Dr. Shinso wasn't actively brainwashing him, what's the next step that gets us to this? Aizawa questions Hitoshi in a way that's not supposed to be accusing, but the hard edge of this bloodbath 
another death, another one he couldn't save. Sounds demanding even to his ears. Except Itoshi's powerful gaze just moves over Aizawa and holds, like being clenched in a fist so tight Aizawa can't even breathe. Then he says, Ask a simple question, get a simple answer. The fist seems to tighten, and Aizawa takes a breath just to prove to himself that he can. He finds a voice, but it's hoarse as if rusted. What about Shioko? What about her? Hitoshi returns a hard rally to Aizawa's serve. Was she here? They can do the detective work, footprints, camera footage, to find out what happened, but it's faster proving, or disproving, a theory than it is to do the legwork and go from scratch. And Atoshi has never been better po positioned to tell them what the man who's tormented him would have done. So Hitoshi could be wrong, but it hasn't but he hasn't made much of a habit of it so far, and Aizawa has to get ahead of these murderers somehow. Like it or not, Hitoshi could be his ace in the hole. One of them. No. Hitoshi finally answers, staring hard at the scene like he can suck up the mentalist afterimage left behind, develop it like a negative into a full picture. Maybe he can. I don't think so. Why not? Sakachi questions, and Aizawa thinks he knows the answer, but he's not the expert. More intimate, Hitoshi answers with a note like the dissonant ring of an old, barely functional grandfather clock. Aizawa hates it already, making things worse when Hitoshi continues. Dad always wanted to work alone, just him and the... subject. A poor substitute for victim, which is what they are. What they all are, Hitoshi included. But Aizawa understands why he might shy away from the word. If Shioker were here, he'd see it as contamination of his message. Or the doc didn't want Shioko to be scared by the true face of the violent, angry man she worships going into a frenzy, stabbing to death one of the faceless guards from the prison that had held him six long years. Perhaps Shioko wouldn't be scared, but maybe Dr. Shinso had other reasons for not wanting to be seen like that. Too undignified, being so out of control, finally unleashed after all this time behind bars. So what's the message? Aizawa prompts before the feeling of a callback to their last victim with the doc fully sinks in. He hates this even more when Hitoshi turns to give Aizawa an uncannily Dr. Shinso smile. Aizawa wants to wipe that wry grin off Hitoshi's face because it's fake and makes Aizawa's skin crawl, and he hates it because it means Hitoshi is afraid. Without prompting, Aizawa hears Hitoshi's ask a simple question, get a simple answer in his head in a characteristic sing-song, and Aizawa knows what it means but wants to hear someone else say it. Maybe Hitoshi understands that because he doesn't hesitate with his answer that he does what he wants. So you're also sure it was Dr. Shinso? Sakachi tests for confirmation with a sideways, told you so glare at Aizawa that's not necessary. Aizawa never doubted this was the doc's work. He just wants to be sure they know why. Oh yeah, Hitoshi replies, 
This is dad all over. Hitoshi is back to staring at the bloody writing on the wall, and Aizawa tries to assemble the events like building a chain link by link. A moment of opportunity where Dr. Shinso planted the thought in a weak, frightened mind. Leave your post. Meet me later at the park outside this prison if you want to die. Injected into the mind like a bad vaccine, triggering the very disease that was meant to prevent and putting the victim into a feverish state. What was it like in the mind of the guard? How did he feel as he obediently did as he was told without thinking clearly? The dried mud and blades of grass stuck between the ridges of the soles of his shoes corroborates the theory of a park. Waiting in the dying light, foggy and confused from the Shinso prison in his mind. How much awareness remained, like the flame of a candle almost drowned by its own wax, until the dock finally returned. The dock must have stolen away from Shioko. Perhaps she was even unaware that her idol had left at all, to return to the site of his escape. It's arrogance, a one step ahead, you can't hold me, statement of ego. How powerful and untouchable the doc is now he's been set free. The revenge he took, and may still take, on the people who dared put him away. What did the doc ask, Aizawa wonders, when the mad professor went to the park and had seen, he had seen only once and found his final prison escape victim waiting, just as Dr. Shinso wanted. Was he kind or cruel? Was it both those things and more, rolled up into a deadly question, asked with a cool detachment like the one he asked his followers? Are you ready to die? Yes, Professor, they had answered, but it didn't matter what they said. Any answer was enough. Aizawa feels, with a heave like a nasty bout of food poisoning, that the doc is mocking them. This isn't what the victim wanted, it's what Dr. Shinso wanted, his will annihilating any others, like a hydrogen bomb scorching the landscape past recognition. All that remains to be seen is where the next warhead is going to land. Aizawa would kill, okay, maybe not kill for a cigarette right now, he has some, but he's still with Hitoshi, and is trying to cling to having the decency not to smoke in front of him. Anymore. That's what Aizawa had originally tried, of course, before Hitoshi got wise to it and was so permanently screwed to Aizawa's hip that it became impossible to keep the habit from him. Students aren't supposed to know their teacher smokes the very cigarettes he busts from them uh, for smoking around the quiet corners of campus when he's running low and parents struggle to keep the habit from their kids, look at Kiki, all the time. So the only way, realistically, that Aizawa isn't going to be a bad role model for Hitoshi is by quitting. Except he's not sure if he can manage that. At least, not now. His relationship with smoking has always been a series of peaks and troughs, mostly tied to how barbaric the case he's working is and his subsequent work-life balance. But he can try. Maybe. Tama left soon after dropping Aizawa and Hitoshi off at the crime scene. As Sakachi's informal partner, they're avoiding doubling up when there's surely something useful for both of them to be doing elsewhere. 
it's just so convenient. It just so conveniently means that they don't don't have to spend time around each other. Doesn't stop Aizawa missing his smoking buddy, or feeling the too muchness of everything sitting on him, like crude oil across the surface of water, smothering the life out of everything it comes into contact with. Sakachi is driving them back to the police station, Aizawa stewing in the back seat next to Hitoshi, when the intercom in the car crackles with a staticky ray of hope. You fuckers there? Copy that, Tama. Sakachi answers without a flicker of his. Sakachi answers without a flicker of his unimpressed look and needlessly high adrenaline driving. What's up? More like what's down. Tama answers coarsely. A couple of people just took a dive off a bridge in a pair of steel chain straitjackets. Shit. Were you there? What happened to them? Sakachi quick fires. I just got here, but some shitheads on the sidelines filmed it. Thomas snappish on the other end of the police-only frequency that Aizawa pretends he doesn't listen to from his own pirate mod on his phone. An officer got here earlier, jumped in, but couldn't get them up. I had to call it off before they all fucking drowned. And you think there's something fishy about it? Sakachi's either developing the same dark humor as the rest of them, or he stumbled into that one by mistake. The radio scratches in a way that could just be static, or Tama's most scornful growly laugh. I think you'll see the footage. I think if you see the footage, you'll feel like an idiot for asking me that. Found it, Hitoshi declares over his phone from his side of the back seat. Lightning fast internet surfer as always. Aizawa shuffles closer to get a good look, reaching his hand to cup around Hitoshi's and steer the screen into a better position for them both to see. It's hard to be sure without checking exactly, but Itoshi's hands are about the same size as Aizawa's. Maybe bigger. Puppy paws he still has yet to grow into. Hitoshi's frame is relaxed against Aizawa's as he crowds closer, pressing shoulder to shoulder to both eagerly see the footage. But the calm and sense of... not peace, but some kind of safety, at least, might help with what they're about to watch. Let me see... Aizawa mutters in the scarce space between them, which permits more privacy of conversation by merit of being sort of squished together, rather than each in their own distinct seats. Although guarded at first, Aizawa is a very tactile person with people he trusts enough to open up to like that, and with Hitoshi, it's entirely likely to be the same. Aizawa recognizes the specific touch-starved defensiveness to some extent, especially at Hitoshi's age. Although he's got Kiki, Hitoshi has probably struggled to maintain a positive male relationship that can sustain this kind of friendly contact. Aizawa doesn't mind. Far from it, actually. It's relaxing to the animal brain, the reassurance of contact. Being next to someone, close enough to touch casually, as, a, as an important reminder of not being totally alone in the world, especially with the shit they're about to see. The film starts when the two figures have already climbed up onto the wall of the bridge, shrouded in coats that obscure the torsos of both the man and woman who stand on the narrow ledge, facing each other in the blustery winds that gush upriver. The couple are balanced on the narrow ledge over the deepest part of the river and appear to be embracing like lovers. Almost. 
because there's something not quite right about the scene, starting with a dead expression in their eyes, but escalating with the same with the name written in thick strokes of permanent marker on the woman's cheek. The shapes are not new to Aizawa or Hitoshi, but no other victim had Shioko's marker displayed right in the open like this. Who knows what the public will make of that revelation, which the police will surely have to comment on now. It's not close enough to make the exact kanji out, but there's nothing else it could be except Hakamata Shioko. No such mark is seen on the man's face, at least, not on the side facing the shakily filmed camp recording. Aizawa has two guesses as to what that means. One, that Shioko's death mark is on the other side. Or two, that the brainwashing quirk holding the man isn't Shioko's. The doomed lovers are unresponsive to the shouts of people around them, which is nothing new, and it's only when the wind blows open the man's coat in a certain way that the straitjacket Thomas spoke of is visible. A vest of shining chains, wrapped many times around his torso, presumably one to match on his partner as well, shimmers for a moment in the light. Then, as the screams of passers-by around them become more alarmed, someone finally stepping forward as if to grab them, both the man and woman tip sideways towards the water, plummeting headfirst over the water and dropping out of sight as the phone footage begins to shake with the camera's wild movement during the ensuing panic. There's a moment of stunned quiet, just the static air and human weight of Hitoshi against Aizawa's side. Tama's got a point. Hitoshi speaks first, while Aizawa starts to rewind the footage to the moment when Shioko's name is visible. The resolution isn't quite high enough quality to make out the kanji for certain, but the shape is right enough to be terribly wrong. Why make them die like this? Aizawa thinks out loud while a tuft of hair keeps tickling the side of his face. Clustered close together, with errant strands escaping the messy bun Hizashi packed Aizawa's hair into, as his nerves fray in direct proportionality, it could be, it could as easily be Aizawa's own wild locks as Satoshi's at this point. Aizawa blows upward out of the corner of his mouth, trying to dislodge the nuisance that way, but perhaps mostly blows in Hitoshi's ear, because the team jumps like touching against a live wire. I... I think someone got jealous. Hitoshi settles into, after an unsteady beginning, slipping his hand, and phone with it, from inside Aizawa's grip and sliding it into his pocket with a wriggly shuffle. Aizawa clocks how close they are. Personal space is a boundary he easily forgets, at least with some people, and has to police himself to be more aware of other people's bubbles beyond the object of his hyperfocus like a parent stopping their child from pressing their face against the window of a sweet shop. Jealous? Aizawa echoes, realizing the tuft of hair was his own, freed from the attempts to bind it that Hizashi boldly made. He tries hopelessly to tuck the errant strand behind his ear, only for it to spring back out into the corner of his peripheral vision. He'll cut it off if he gets his hands on anything sharp. Does it all the time, when Hizashi's not looking. Of who? Hopefully not Hitoshi and Kiki. Aizawa worries with a swift undercurrent in his mind, ready to drag him under the surface of his fear. Just when, not if, Shioko or the Doc is going to come for his beloved wife and child. Aizawa doesn't know which of the two would be worse. Of what? Hitoshi corrects. 
Dad was out killing without her. He's wincing, negating the illusion that this could be easy for him. Hitoshi is guessing as much as any of them. It's just that his guesses are better than most. This is supposed to be something they're doing together. You getting all this, Tama? Sakachi calls to the intercom, which scratches like a cat on a piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah, double murder's a real cute idea for a date. Tama's voice spits over the scratchy police frequency. Or maybe it's just his attitude fraying the channel like a well-worn rope. There's a team going in to drag the bodies out now. You better get here before the fucking news crews roll in. Copy that, Scotchy replies, and then without skipping a beat, turns on his siren and hairs through a busy intersection with the hidden light on his undercover cop car flashing, zipping past a couple of cars so closely that the air between vehicles pounds with the shock of a near miss. Aizawa's heart leaps out of his chest with the sudden fright, pumping into adrenaline mode with nowhere to go. He hates being in cars, honestly, especially because he doesn't drive and has to hang helplessly on for dear life while he puts his life in the hands of what is usually a certifiable lunatic. Sakachi's the most sane of any of them, but he's still a cop, and therefore has an inbuilt ability to drive like he doesn't want to live anymore. The detective's final address to Aizawa and Hitoshi runs to the tune of, Hold on to your hair, boys, before putting his foot all the way down. They rev into high-speed city crawl that precludes much in the way of conversation, and more in the way of Aizawa gripping fearfully to the interior of the police car in a cold sweat, hoping Sakachi is as good of a driver as his confidence makes him out to be. Because with three people dead before lunch, and the dreadful knowledge that Shioko and the doc are just getting started, Aizawa feels more like tearing his hair out than hanging on to it.